Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I am very excited because today I have a new guest, a new friend, Austin Tazone, content creator and influencer educator. How are you, Austin? I'm good. How are you, Brayden? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you here. I'm good. It is. I probably should have turned on my fan. It's pretty warm in this um, not air-conditioned office I have, but that's okay. We're going we're gonna to power through. It's summer. We love that. I'm particularly excited because... The last, like the last one of these episodes I did was with a really good friend of mine. And those are always fun because you can ask like more specific questions. This time we've maybe talked for all of what, like maybe five minutes. So it's going to be interesting and from a different perspective, because I'm going to learn about your business just as my audience is. Yeah, I kind of love that, though, because sometimes you just want to come in like totally fresh and it's almost like eavesdropping on like, you know, you go to a networking event and you meet uh -huh. someone, you're standing by the bar and you're like, so talk to me about you. Like, you know, <laughs> you kind of just get like the fresh original perspective. So I love that. Yeah, the, the only difference is I ask like much more nosier questions, but I've gotten so used to do that, doing that, that I actually do do that at networking events. And it probably does just freak some people out. But you you cut past the small talk quickly. Well, and that's probably what makes you memorable anyway. And if you find the right kind of person, they're down for any of your nosy questions like yeah. I am. Yeah, yeah, they they open up. So I got your information from Emily. Shout out Emily, who she does the show notes and everything for this. She's been a follow of yours, follower of yours for a while. And she said, you should interview Austin. I think it'll be really great. So we have Emily to thank for you being here. I think this is going to be really fun. Now, I went to your about page, which you put in our Zoom confirmation. So it was really helpful. Thank you. And learned a little bit about your background. I love this timeline you have on your website because I think it just, you know, my ADHD, I can't like read block paragraphs super well all the time. I think it's super helpful. So broad picture, can you give us just like a quick rundown of your background and how you got to where you are? Yeah, definitely. So I think I've always just been a creative person. I grew up acting in plays. I always wanted to, you know, like if I had a backpack for school, I'm like tying yarn on it, just like making it amazing, just like doing the most and being a little bit extra. So I've always really been drawn towards creative fields. And growing up, I also read a lot of magazines and my mom was actually a magazine editor. So for a while I was like, nice. oh my God, that would be the dream. <laughs> to be a magazine editor. So be like the next I, Anna, Anna Wintour. Well, I don't know if I have her um, like kind of cool demeanor. I'm a little bit too like friendly, I think, to like be <laughs> in her shoes. I think even it's funny because when you think about like a traditional magazine masthead, there's the editor in chief and then there's all of these kind of section directors. So I think in my head, I was always like the fashion director or like the beauty director or something something in there still very sure. in charge and having my own kind of group of editors and things like that um but so I anyway I went to college in New York City and got to intern at a bunch of magazines while I was there but one of the reasons I started a blog in 2012 was because I saw for these internships you needed writing samples but I was like where am I supposed to get published like I'm 18 like I right. don't have many resources like 
what's the deal with this? So I kind of just started self-publishing. I started taking pictures of my outfits and sharing them on this website. And when I applied for an internship at Nylon, where I later worked as an editor, one of the writing samples was just a blog post of mine about like styling. I can't even remember what it was. It might've been like styling skinny jeans or something like that. (laughs) And it was always just kind of like, I knew that that world was extremely competitive. I knew that there was you had to have like all this background and all this knowledge to kind of get involved in it. So I just wanted to be like as prepared as humanly possible. Yeah, you must be, I'm guessing you must be just like maybe a couple few years younger than me because I remember when I started college for one of our classes, we had to write a blog and I remember not knowing what it was. Like I did not have a home computer. I started college and let's see, I graduated high school in 2008. So this would have been like fall 2008. And I remember just thinking, I'm like, so I'm writing just like an essay, but I have to put it on the internet for my teacher to read it. And I thought that like only people in my class could access it because I didn't really know what a blog was. Turns out, I don't think even they accessed it, but it probably still lives on the internet somewhere on on WordPress. Oh yeah, it probably still exists somewhere. Because like blogging got, I feel like between like 2009 and 2012, like blogging, I feel like the early 2010s, blogging started to like really take off. That's when I first started really reading them too. And then mine launched in 2012, which was the year I graduated high school. Cause for the first time I had like Mm. nothing to do. Like I was not heading up a spirit committee meeting. I was not playing (laughs) on the soccer field. I was not acting in plays. Like I had time off. And so obviously I created a project for myself and it was always just something that I kept up with like all through college. And then even once I became an editor at Nylon and then later interview, it was always still there. Like I couldn't not do it, even if I wanted to, even given that I had kind of a demanding job. Did you grow up in New York as well? I grew up in New Jersey in Bergen County. So I was always like a 30 minute drive and it was always like, oh, I just wish I lived in the city. Like that would be so cool to just like be there all the time. So going to college there was like an extremely just like amazing experience just getting to like oh I'm running to class but then later I have to go to my internship and then like you know I'm gonna go study at this cool coffee shop not just at the library like always trying to look for ways to like make the most out of being there for sure um and being in New York was just so transformative because it just gave me like the biggest and most incredible network whether it was someone in college whether it was someone I worked in retail for a few years too while I was in college at Free People and the one in Rockefeller Center. Shout out, that store is huge and amazing. (laughs) Um, And so even people who I met like working in retail went on to the fashion industry in different areas or like went on to work in marketing or like design. And it was just, I was so willing to like do whatever, like, okay, I'm working in retail, I'm interning, I'm doing this and that. It was just exactly what I wanted to be doing and where I wanted to be. That's awesome. I love New York City. I need to go back soon. It's been too long. Um, Putting that on my to-do list. We'll have to get brunch when I go there. What neighborhood are you in? That's amazing. So now I live in Hoboken, which is right across um, the Hudson River in New Jersey. And we have an underground subway called The Path that can Uh pop you in and out really quickly. Um, But I'm in the city like at least once a week, if not a little more. But it is so interesting just how everything has changed in the last few years. And even pre-COVID times, my job and my role as a print magazine editor was changing so quickly. And I ended up going through two different layoffs with both of the magazines I was at. 
And rather than be, you know, upset about that, it just helped me turn my attention so much more towards digital. It became so clear, like where everything was going. And uh-huh. it's so interesting now how content creators have sort of become the sources to people that magazines were. I don't want to like draw an exact parallel between them, but like, whereas I used to look to articles on websites or articles in magazines for things like, oh, what's trending? What's this? What's that? Now you're on TikTok. Now you're on Instagram and you're looking for creators who have the same kind of like voice and authority as an editor does. And that authority now doesn't have to come from like years of experience and like following the perfect step ladder up the hierarchy, you know, to the top of the masthead. It can come from even one viral video. And then that creator creating that same piece of content over and over again so many times that like they become a master at it and so that's what I love about this industry is like anyone can break in anyone can like get started and you don't have to go through this whole like gate kept thing of you know I print magazines just seemed like the ultimate like this is really hard and competitive to break into and then the hierarchy was printed on the page so I feel like that was just what made it even feel more official in that way. Nice. Yeah, love it. I feel like, I mean, every like everything's digital now. It's a good point too. I used to, I feel like in high school, I used to get magazines. I haven't like gotten a magazine in a while. But just this morning, I like saved some random TikTok video of this guy that was like, you know, five tips for easy style this summer. And I'm like, gotten so lazy that like now I'll watch the video and literally just click all of his affiliate links and just like buy the things because... I like to be stylish. I'm too lazy at this point to like actually assemble my own outfits, I feel like. Yeah. And when it's done for you and like so perfectly packaged (laughs) and so accessible like that, because even if you were reading a magazine and saw that same article, think of all the work you would have to then do to go like, okay, I got to go to this store. I got to drive here. Like maybe this one I can order online, but like what color should I get? Like the fact that so much of that is done for you and makes it so easy. Like when you also. The problem I have, so here's a fun style question for you. If you're into that kind of thing, I think you are, you know what you talk about. I kind of got to this point, right? Like in college, I shopped at Forever 21. And then I was like, oh, as I make more money, I want to buy like nicer clothes. And then I started doing like pretty okay. And then I started getting most of my clothes at Nordstrom, but like buying a lot less minimalism journey, right? But now I feel like when you go into Nordstrom, they are very much probably intentionally not on the trend cycle because they're catering to people you know, who aren't Gen Z people. So it's like, well, if you want to be trendy, but not buy cheap clothes, like, what do you do? I should say cheaply made clothes is really what I mean. Yeah, you really want to find like the good middle grounds. And like, I'm trying to think of what the menswear equivalents are too, because I feel like just naturally, like women also have so many more options, but that also leads to like so much more overwhelm and like overconsumption too. Like I shop at, like I shop at Bonobos a lot, but then Mm -hmm. that's like, it's like kind of hit or miss. It's a lot. They have like casual clothes. It's a lot more like more professional attire too. Yeah, I do feel like to get like more of the trendy stuff, you do have to dip into a little bit of, I like the British fashion bloggers call it high street, like the mangoes of the world or like Zara where uh-huh. it's still mass produced, but like at least the quality is going to be better than something like a Forever 21. Right. Um, but I think mixing like a couple of those things each season with all of your timeless things is kind of the move because that way you can still participate and feel like you're part of it. 
And also I do a lot of clothing rentals. Like I love Newly, where I can rent six items a month and then I just like send them back unless I want to buy something. Yeah. And I feel like we're going to start seeing a lot more of that in the coming years and also a lot more like made to order where you give your measurements and then you pick out like, this is the shirt I want. This is the pattern I want it in. And someone makes it perfectly tailored to fit you from the beginning. And then that's it. And then it's such a high quality piece. Like you have it, you're one and done. But if you want it in another color, if you want it in a solid or a basic, like you have more options. So it's even interesting to see you know, social media and the impact that has on our fashion trend cycles. Cause sometimes I'm not even thinking about a piece of clothing until I see like a TikTok yeah. about it. And then I'm like, oh, do I need like jelly slides for summer? Like, do I need like this Barbie core pink dress? Like I, I might need it. So uh-huh. Yeah, I got a pair of last year. Um, my it's funny, we were going to dinner last night and my husband was like, Don't wear your mom jeans to dinner. That's what he calls them. But I have I have a pair of like light washed semi high waisted jeans that are really, you know, like baggy at the bottom and cut like just above the ankle because they're like trendy, right? I had to buy those on is it do you pronounce it Azos or Azos? I Azos. say Azos, yeah. Yeah, Azos. Um which is always a crapshoot because you don't know how it's going to fit. But like you can't find like you can't find those at Nordstrom. They're not going to sell them, right? It's interesting. No way. And I well, feel like everyone's partner has that like one piece of clothing of theirs that they hate. Like my fiance, sometimes I'll come out and things and he'll look at me and be like, oh, what? what is that? Like he'll ask it like so trying to be nice. And I'm like, okay, just I know this is like not a thing that I'm wearing to make you attractive to me. This is the thing I'm wearing because I think it's fashionable, you know? Right. Right, right, right. Well, there's always, I always feel like one person in the relationship has to be trendy, right? Um, oh, yeah. I usually wear those with a sleeveless, like, uh, knit sweater vest, for lack of a better term, but it's a I vibe. see this for you. I see yeah, this it's for a vibe. Me. I'll send you a picture. Okay. So you did some freelancing stuff. You had your corporate gigs. L we'll cut long story short, 2021 you go into full-time creator mode. What are you... So I didn't even put this in the intro, but I think you all probably get it by now because all my audience is used to the profit reports, but that's what we're doing here. Um, what what were your offerings? Like, what were you selling? What was your business? Yeah, so I would say, like, as far as when I first started content creation, I would say 2012 to 2016, I made, like, no money. It was just uh, for fun on the side. That was my creative outlet. Were you, or at least you were probably doing, like, affiliate links and stuff, though, on your blog, right? You know, I think I might have just, like, signed up for LTK. It was called Reward Style at the time. I think uh -huh. I might have, like, just gotten an account somehow and then it's gotten really competitive to get into it since then I've noticed but yeah. I must have just been scratching the surface with it and at the time I remember receiving offers for gifts from brands or like um just in exchange for product would you do a blog post or would you do this and I fielded those like pretty gut reaction wise either yes this seems cool or I don't really care about this no that's fine and I think in 2016 was when I got my first paid brand deal, which was actually with ASOS. And it was to market their like college student discount. So they paid me and they sent me clothes. And I was like, whoa, what okay, is yeah. going on? So this was really exciting to me. So then for the first, like the next maybe three or four years, it was very focused on brand deals and affiliates. Cause I was like, that's how bloggers make money. That was the examples I could see and kind of what I could gauge from who were the successful bloggers at the time and how were they making this work? It seemed like it was primarily those two things, especially for fashion and beauty. And 
And then I think around like the time that I was freelancing after I had gotten laid off from Nylon and Interview was when people kind of started asking me more about the business side of, you know, being a blogger, making money. Cause I would sometimes post brand deals with, you know, brands like Garnier and like ASOS and everyone would be like, but you're a small content creator. Like, how are you even getting in touch with these brands? How do you pitch? How do you do this, this, and that? And that's when I created my first digital product, which was an ebook called Write on Pitch that I still have today. And it was my pitching process. It was all of the frequently asked questions. I would go in and screenshot all the DMs I was getting and answer all of them like in this ebook. And that was my first digital product. And I feel like that was kind of the first income stream that I didn't realize I was launching, but like mm -hmm. kind of just started to come about. Cool, cool, cool. So you have that product. So now let's start to break down um, the different revenue streams. So we already talked about for the audience, just so you know, we're not going to talk about dollar figure numbers in this interview. I gauge everyone's level of comfort, each guest that comes on. Um, Austin would prefer just to talk percentages. So that's what we're going to do. So if you had to, let's like visualize a pie chart, of, you know, the pie is 100% of the revenue. What are your slices of pie and their percentages, so to speak? So today I now have eight income streams and I would say that I've probably added one a year since like 2019. In 2019, cool. it was like brand deals, affiliates, um, the ebook that I mentioned, and I finally qualified for ad revenue through YouTube's partner program. So then now the income streams include those four, but they also include consulting. So helping creators one-on-one -on -one if they're looking for like information or they want me to review parts of their business. I have a Patreon community. So I call it like my membership model where people pay each month to access resources. I create again, kind of for content creators to help with their business backend. Then I have education, which is my workshops and my digital course, which I just launched for the first time in January. And I also will sometimes do one-off workshops for companies. Like there's um, this, this subset of Cafe Media slash Ad Thrive, which is a big um, blog ad revenue publisher. And they have this thing called Remarkable Voices, which helps underrepresented creators get access to education about the creator economy. Um, so I've done like an SEO workshop for them before. Um, I'm doing one with Macy's in July. So like companies that can hire me to do a workshop specifically for like their internal teams. And then the last one, I kind of call it platform incentives, but anything in the world of like reels bonuses, um, the TikTok creator fund, tipping on like Twitter and Clubhouse, which doesn't happen to me very often, but if it does, it gets counted into that bucket. And I think that's it now. So platform incentives. Those, those incentives, to... I didn't even know those were the a thing until I started doing. Um, you probably you probably don't even know those because I don't really have it on my website, but I also have a separate website slash brand called Drag Tax, the tax firm for drag queens. So we do bookkeeping and taxes for drag queens. And they do, as you probably know, Instagram and TikTok lives all the time. And I was like, what's this $200 payment from Facebook, from Meta? And they're like, oh, that's for my Instagram lives. And I was like, I didn't even know you could get paid for that. Of course, you have to have, you know, like enough followers, I would imagine, or just apply for it. I don't know how that works, but yeah. Oh my God. Wild. First of all, I love that. That in itself <laughs> is like amazing. And Taxes I'm so happy are a that... drag. Hire us to help. That's the tagline. So I did, I did a photo shoot in Palm Springs with some drag queens for that 
website. It was, it was fun. So I did miss one though. So you said your first four, I missed one of the first four. So I had brand deals, affiliates, and ad revenue. What did I miss? Brand deals, affiliates, ad revenue, and digital products. So now oh, yeah, beyond products. the ebook, I also have like an invoice template for content creators. I have a brand campaign wrap-up template versus just like dropping a bunch of screenshots in a Google Drive folder, like when you're done with a brand campaign. Um, okay. So yeah, so those so are the eight. I actually went and looked at your digital product store. So I saw all those. I didn't know what a wrap-up template, wrap-up campaign was. Is that just basically providing all the metrics for the results you got for the company after they've paid you? That's exactly right. So I created this Canva template for myself to send to a brand once after a campaign wrapped up because they ask for screenshots, but sometimes there's so many different ways they can do this. If you're going through a third-party platform like an Aspire, sometimes they just upload there, but then they're out of contacts. Contacts Like if you mislabel the screenshots or you don't label them at all, it's like, wait, what am I looking at here? Like what's the context? So I wanted to give creators an opportunity to provide brands with more context of what are these analytics? What does this mean? So in addition to giving you little, like, you know, those little phone templates where you can literally just drag in your screenshot and it uh -huh. looks pretty in a little phone outline, you can also pull your favorite comments. And you also have little sections of text where you can fill in, you know, my engagement was lower than usual this day because this was the day that like, I don't know, the war in Ukraine broke out or something. Like you can kind of just give more context and say, hey, here's why I think this happened or here's why this was so much higher than normal. And sure. I liked the idea of leaving a really good impression with a brand when you finish a campaign and every brand I've sent this to they're like no one does this this is amazing so I basically just packaged this template into a few different color combos I sent it to a few friends to kind of beta test for me and give me feedback on and then I released it as this digital product cool I've actually thought it was like getting my wheels spinning so if we have any creators listening go check out the template so you can see these wrap ups because I'm thinking from a higher from a company hiring perspective, it comes to we want to see the, like the KPIs, right? Are we getting an ROI on investment? We need like we need all that data. So mm -hmm. this template helps people provide that. I've actually thought about for drag tax hiring drag queens to promote the business during tax season. I've only spent money on Facebook ads. So this would be a different kind of avenue for me. So this is really interesting to to hear like how this actually works behind the scenes kind of fascinating yeah and I think it sets a creator apart if they're willing to like go a little bit the extra mile in the reporting because honestly by the time you end a campaign you might be exhausted like you've already had to negotiate your contract you've had to go back and forth with the brand on a lot of things you've created the content they've approved it you've made edits they've approved it again you post you engage all this stuff by the time you get to sending the analytics you're like oh my gosh well, like, wrap this up pay me like let's you know let's mm -hmm. keep going and brands are so appreciative when you do this. Like, even if it's three pages just of the analytics and the screenshots and saying, you know, my clicks were a little lower than normal. And when looking back, like maybe my call to action wasn't what I usually say. And maybe next time I would say like, let's do something more organic to like the way I talk to my audience versus like tap to shop. If that's not something you say, if you're like, bestie the discount is in the link like this is going to hook you up blah 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 if it maybe that was one of the reasons and you can explain stuff like that in the campaign wrap-up template and 
and whether you buy the template or not, just giving the brand like feedback or more insights into, hey, how did this go based on like, you know, your content best. So this is just an opportunity for you to be a clear communicator, be a good brand partner and get as much information to them in like a nice way to end the campaign. So if I wanted to hire you at the end of this year to tell me how much I should be paying creators if I wanted to hire them to do TikTok videos for me, is that something you would do in your consulting service? I think we could definitely look into that and <laughs> chat about that offline. Okay, I mean, go, it, yeah, I'd go in that in that income streams. Okay, so interesting. Let's talk about these eight different slices of pie. So can you give us percentages for each of them? Let's all I'll ask you for for each one if you have them. What percentage of your pie is brand deal stuff? So from to work off of last year, 2022, brand deals made up 25% of my income, which oh, was uh, but it was a very drastic shift, though, from if you kind of look back at my other pie charts throughout the years that I've literally like made these pie charts you're talking about uh -huh. myself and 2019 brand deals were 80% of my income as a content creator. And that's for two reasons, I think. Number one, that was one of the only real ways I knew how to make money at the time. Uh -huh. And also brands were popping up a lot more for me personally, because at the time there was a smaller pool of creators to choose from. Fast forward to, you know, post 2020 and 2021 with so many new creators, not just starting to create for the first time, but building these massive audiences on TikTok and Instagram reels and YouTube shorts even it really changed the landscape for like legacy creators like myself. And especially when you're a micro influencer thinking about from the brand perspective, who's going to give me the ROI right now, who is going to, you know, get me the most for the least amount of spend, right? There's so many factors that go into things where I personally noticed last year that my inbound requests either were like lower quality, or they just like weren't really coming from the brands that like, I would have wanted to work with because oh. I have worked with big brands, even as a small creator. And that's because of working my ass off and just really being a relationship builder and really going out of my way to get to know the people behind these brands. But it became really clear to me that like, especially last year, I'm very comfortable saying no when I don't feel like something is aligned, whether that's the brand isn't going to get something good out of it based on the budget that they have, or whether that's I'm just going to hate every second of the project if I feel like I'm undervalued. So that really helped me kind of call down and focus just on like only saying yes to what I really would want to say yes to, if that makes yeah, sense, I, compared well, to being more eager, I think, earlier on too, to be like, oh, you want to work with me? Like, sure. I don't even know who you are, but like, let's chat, you know? Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it also, it also makes sense that as you add more areas of revenue, like the percentages of the old ones are going to, you know, decrease because now you have more streams of revenue coming in. So, okay. What was your percentage for affiliates? My percentage for affiliates, I can't even see it on my pie chart because it's such a tiny sliver. <laughs> I, it's less than 5%. I would say maybe 4% if I had to guess. Okay, and cool. that's because I am just not a big affiliate blogger now. Like I really try to keep my recommendations like to things that I've tried when possible or things that I think are similar enough to things I've tried and like that my audience would like too. So I definitely pump out more affiliate content during like sale seasons. So like on the summer sale front, you know, Sephora sale, Nordstrom anniversary sale, Amazon Prime Day, things like that. Mm -hmm. But 
and maybe also like during the holiday season but otherwise I'm kind of just like occasionally sharing things I love and I could be much more aggressive on the affiliate front but given that it's a small percentage of my total pie I don't feel the need right now to yeah, it may not be like worth your time I mean it depends like how you want to prioritize right and to bombard your audience with links <laughs> if you're not doing that already. Because there are some creators I follow just because I want their shopping recommendations to your point with ordering the exact outfits from a TikTok that you saw. Yeah. If that's the kind of creator you are and that's what you're an expert in, then that totally makes sense. And if that is a bigger percentage of your pie, it makes sense to dedicate more time towards it. For me, if anything, I'm scaling back a little bit and just focusing more on, oh, I'm going to post an outfit photo to Instagram. Let me grab the links for these products or similar ones and throw it on my LTK and I'll add the link in my stories. But beyond that, I'm not like pushing them as much, if that makes sense. And actually, I will say my affiliates, not really for like fashion and beauty, but being a creator educator, my affiliates from things like Canva, later otter ai like the softwares that i use are much more substantial so if anything if i were to like focus more on my affiliates i would definitely be more thinking about the software side of things like oh let me go make another youtube video showing people a canva tutorial and then mentioning like the 30-day free trial that yeah. leads to my affiliate link. i'd even probably break those down in your bookkeeping like basically sat like a SaaS affiliate income versus other affiliate income could be interesting so i want to run i want to make sure we have enough time to run through all of these so let's i'll list the rest of them and let's just bullet point the percentages and then we'll circle back with some follow-up questions so ad revenue that was about eight percent last year and that's blog and youtube Ad, uh, oh, cool. AdSense. Cool. Okay. Digital products. That was 7% last year. 7%. Okay. I'm already picturing the Instagram graphic we're going to make for this episode, this, this pie chart. It's going to be fun. <laughs> yes. uh, consulting. And then consulting. Oh, here. You know, I was looking at my actual pie chart and I just found all the real numbers for you. <laughs> okay. Um, consulting is 4.5%. Beautiful. 4.5%. Uh, Patreon. Patreon was 2%. And Patreon was a new income stream for me last year. And I charge a very low. Nice. I, I there's It's either one, three or $5 a month. So it's very uh, affordable for people. Cool. Education. That was 16%. So that became my third largest in 2022. All right. And then platform incentives. I'm assuming that one's pretty small. No, that was 30% last oh. year. Oh, damn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'll, I can tell you why I know it's not going to be 30% this year. And uh -huh. that's because that was through the Pinterest creator fund, oh. where for a while they were paying like crazy high rates to content creators. Like, I think there were a couple of times where it was like $1,000 just for one pin, which I was like, really taking advantage of that program. Oh my God. So that was actually where I racked up like a really good chunk of change. And I would say the majority of that also came from the first half of the year in 2022, which was interesting. So that kind of led to like a bit of an, a lopsided and like not my usual calendar year in 2022. Um, but yeah, and hopefully... If I messed up any of the percentages, I'll I'll let you know and circle back on it. But the biggest three were platform incentives, 30%, brand deals, 25%, education, 16%. Education, yeah. 
So what I, so it's good to get all those numbers out because I want to kind of have a holistic conversation here talking about the revenue side of things. And then we'll, we'll talk about expenses a little bit, but mm -hmm. just looking at 2023, we're already, we're, you know, like a week or two away from being halfway through the year. So you already kind of like know what's happening, but as you look forward, what are revenue streams that you really want to kind of like turn up, put more energy into and see grow? And what are the ones that you not necessarily want to turn off, but you're like, you you can only spend so much time and energy in certain places. So you're sacrificing some time in some areas to see other areas grow. Like, do you have any, did you have any big goals for this year? Yeah, I love this question too, because I think it's so helpful to touch base throughout the year and just see like what's shifting and what's changing based on what you thought was going to be, you know, what yeah. you thought was going to be more at the forefront. So platform incentives, even though it was my biggest income stream last year, I honestly like have very low expectations and don't <laughs> care that much because if it happens, it happens. That's great. I'm in TikTok's new creativity beta fund where you get paid for videos longer than one minute. So I'll try to create some more longer content on there and see what happens, but we don't have Instagram reels bonuses. We don't have the Pinterest creator fund. So there's more reason for me to just focus on creating what I want to create and not worry too much about that. Sure. Is that um, a pretty, would you say other than that Pinterest thing, which is wild, would you say that's like a pretty um, high effort, like low reward way to bring in income? I think creators put a little too much stock in it. And the only reason I say that is because it becomes so unpredictable, given that you're dealing with these platforms and the fact that they're changing so rapidly to keep up with their competition. Right. They're willing to throw some money towards creators to get them to create more on the platform, but is it sustainable? And the answer, at least for what Pinterest and Instagram were doing last year is clearly they need yeah. to take a step back and figure something else out. And yeah, I even, actually, it was, it was kind of random, but I, where was I? I was at a legal event and normally they're terrible. I hate going to them. I have to go to a lot of legal events with my husband because for professional reasons, he just has to, and his job, I don't really have to. And I met an attorney who works for Meta in San Francisco. And specifically he worked like in, um, like with their, their ads team and influencer team. And I was telling him like, what was aggravating me about the platform and basically I was like, look, man, I don't have any of the data. I'm not an expert, but I kind of feel like you've already lost to TikTok. So you should just give it up and stop trying to replicate what they've already like beat you at and just put like put your time and energy somewhere else. And he's I like, I this hear man you. had a drink in his hand and was like, well, okay. <laughs> I don't think he was like super far up the ladder. So he's like, not my decisions to make, not my problems. He probably like agreed with me, but yeah. I feel, I mean, we could do a whole other episode on just my thoughts on the different platforms, I'm sure. But at the end of the day, also, like, that's why I did expand to more income streams, because I wanted to be able to make money and not worry about if my engagement was down or if brands weren't reaching out, which has been the case on and off throughout the last two years, given like all of the changes in the industry. So um, that's why like for platform incentives and I feel like affiliate income, you know, it works well at scale. And as a micro influencer, I know where I stand. I know what products my audience wants me to link to and when, right. and so I can focus on those, but not worry too much about that. And like kind of similar with platform incentives is to be paid based on how well your content does. If it's doing well, that's great. 
if it's not performing the way you want it to, then you're putting a lot of work towards something that's a little out of your control, yeah. if that makes sense. So what are you, are you really focused on growing like the education, digital products and Patreon stuff right now? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, what's funny even about the Patreon is I kind of love it just as it is where I have $1, $3 and $5 a month tiers. And within all of those, like I, the pace of the content I'm creating and the type of content I'm creating, which is usually like content ideas, monthly challenges, like fun, light stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I love doing that because I batch create it all in January and schedule it for the whole year. Nice. So <laughs> I don't really have to be actively maintaining that one other than the $5 tier where I do share more of what I'm currently working on in my business and like a little peek into that. So like this month I redid my homepage for my blog. So I'm going to create a homepage checklist for that $5 tier. If you have a website for your business, here are the kind of must have things on the website and why. And that all just comes from what's going on in my business. So I, if there was interest to expand that more into like, Hey, we're having office hours and to join office hours. Now you're in a $10 a month tier to like, be able to sit with me for an hour each month and ask whatever you want in kind of a group, you know, session or something like that. But there hasn't been too much clamoring for it. So again, I feel like unless people really start asking me for it, or unless I see a reason to, I kind of don't mind that just being what it is is and being that same expected amount of income each month because most people retain in patreon which has been great like occasionally i get someone new who comes on or someone who might drop off but it's been pretty consistent so yeah retention's like super high and really low ticket subscriptions subscriptions yeah that's what i and i'm not mad about it so (laughs) but i would definitely say education so this was the first year launching my course um which is called the influencer income accelerator and it talks about starting and scaling passive income streams because especially like in my world of creators like, like the fashion beauty lifestyle creators especially everyone is very fixated on brand deals and i just want to help people set themselves up for success in the long run so the course kind of goes into the four passive income streams we were talking about too which is like a membership slash subscription affiliates um digital products and what's the fourth one <laughs> and uh wow hold on <laughs> i'm literally drawing drawing a blank and ad revenue thank you so talking about those four really in depth and you know helping people understand like what would be best for me if you already have a highly engaged audience on instagram then yeah maybe turning on subscriptions is a good move for you or if you don't want to worry about instagram and you want to build a blog and you're making most of your income from the ad revenue there, like, let's talk about how to make that happen. Um, So I've really enjoyed that course. I live launched it in Q1, and I'm currently making updates to it to launch again later this year. Um, And then I also have a basically an evergreen SEO workshop that's like listed on my website, you could buy and take it self paced at any time. Um, And also teaching, you know, the one off workshops too for like companies, because I just love creating something for a specific company or like for people in a specific area through a specific lens. And that could be honestly anything. I've done like SEO workshops. I've done how to create great content. I've done, you know, TikTok 101, all of that kind of stuff. So I I want a little, I I got another random question that popped in my mind. So I want to pivot a little bit. 
Um, because mm-hmm. I think this will be interesting. Might not be that interesting for you, but we'll see. This will be interesting for my audience. Because this is a question I get all the time from students in my course that have m- many income streams, like yourself. This is a legal and legal and tax question. Mm-hmm. Um, it, are all of these revenue streams contained within one business? And do you have an LLC? Yes, I have an LLC and they are all contained under this umbrella. Okay. Um, and sometimes I use the DBA of my blog, like Keep Calm and Chiffon uh-huh. for brand deals and things like that. Um, but everything else is just under my umbrella LLC. Is that DBA and... under your LLC as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I get because we get people are confused about this all the time. So this is you're an excellent case study, really. And that as long as what you're doing in your business is mostly related, like you can have all these. I had we had a student previously, excuse me, I'm a little scatterbrained right now, who had a pretty similar business. And she thought that like almost every revenue stream was its own business. And she had, she formed like, she tried to form like five different businesses, like one for YouTube and podcast and like one for consulting. And then like one for like the one I was like, no, 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 no. We don't need to do that. Um, Is your LLC taxes an S corp yet? No, not yet. Right now I'm just single member LLC. Um, but I would like to like look into S Corp because it seems like I will save a lot of money paying taxes. <laughs> that would be Yeah, we could talk about it. After we stop recording, I'll tell you how much in taxes you could save if you form your S Corp. It's pr- pretty pretty nice. Um, okay. So that was the question. And then what do you do for your bookkeeping? Um, I use a Google Sheet and Love I have it. a very thoughtful and thorough accountant. So okay, honestly, cool. like and actually my my income expenses and taxes spreadsheet is like a resource in my Patreon community. Like I think I released that to the $5 tier in like February or March. And it breaks down where you can add in all of your different income streams. You can add nice. in the month. You can add, um, you know, like the date that you actually got paid. So you can make sure that you're for your accounting uh-huh. and bookkeeping that you're talking about the date you got paid, like versus the date you agreed to the project and all of that stuff. Um, And then it also has a section for one tab is for income, one tab is for expenses, and then one tab is for estimated quarterly tax payments. So how much are you putting towards both, you know, for us in the US too, like for federal and state, um, and also a space to even add those confirmation numbers because I don't want anyone coming for me in April and telling me I didn't pay something. I have yeah, the gotta, confirmation number, okay? You got to save the screenshots. Yeah, we, it's that's that's awesome. We actually recommend like spreadsheet bookkeeping for a lot of our people and we provide spreadsheet, like we provide the spreadsheets on all of our courses as well. Um, good to hear that you're having them do income breakdowns because that's, a lot of people don't do that. And then they're not able to. So this is why I like to do these interviews, right? Because I want mm-hmm. all of the listeners to be able to give these percentages in their own business as well, because that's going to help you decide that it's going to help you figure out like, oh, this percentage is down. Well, why is it down? Oh, well, it's because like Pinterest turned off, turned off their creative fund. That's out of your control. So now we need to replace mm-hmm. that kind of income. Something else may be down because something's no longer converting or a funnel's breaking. And if we not aren't breaking down our income streams by category, like we can't see that shit. And I also want to add one thing that really helped me last year was setting percentage goals for my income streams as nice. well. Like in an ideal world, how much of my 
income do I want to be made up of brand deals? How much of it do I want to be made up of other things? And like, I can even see here, I set like a very low affiliate goal last year and I can see I put like 89% of goal met. And even though it's a small percentage of my income, the amount that I wanted to make from it, I was like pretty close to my target. And uh -huh. I think that that just helps you see too, like what did you meet really easily and what would require like more work? And do you want to put more work towards those income streams? Like for platform incentives, it says like 156% of goal met. And that was also just because <laughs> I, I didn't anticipate that I would be able to make what I did from like the Pinterest creator fund. Like that was a five figure income stream for me that year. And I was just like, didn't even see that coming. Yeah versus like that's last where, year that's where it's really helpful to look at dollar goals and percentage goals because if you mm -hmm. hit 150 percent of something it's going to decrease your percentage on the other thing so your percentage goal might not be met but you actually hit like the dollar amount if that makes sense yeah absolutely and like again even though the dollar amount for like affiliates people might look at it and be like oh what that's all but like that's all i needed to slash wanted to make right. from it you know so i think that that was also just helpful for me in terms of like for a mid-year check-in or like a quarterly check-in how am i doing like am i 50 percent of the way to this goal in july then i'm on track like, yeah that's so helpful i always to know i always feel like for affiliate income you either need to make it extraordinarily passive and just be content with what you get. Or if you like really want to focus on it, I feel like you have to, I mean, maybe not. There, there's definitely caveats to everything, but it's either have to have a really big audience like for it to add up, or you can just make it like a very passive thing that runs in the background of your business. I agree completely. And I've also found that like marketing affiliate things on my blog and YouTube have been great because since those are like searchable platforms, uh -huh. I don't have to be out here like promoting the affiliate link. If anything, you're watching the YouTube video, you want to go to Canva and make a rate sheet or whatever. And you're clicking my affiliate link because it's right there. And I like, I almost did you a favor versus I'm bothering you with a link. So right. I really like incorporating them into the searchable side of like, you know, YouTube and my blog specifically. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So let's talk, we'll, we'll just cover expenses briefly. So let's just highlight your biggest categories. What's your biggest expense category? Let me pull it up for you. I want to say off the top of my head though, that it's going to be contractors. And this is because even though I try to be the iconic only child, self-employed Virgo queen <laughs> that I am. Um, I can now finally admit after a few years in business when I need help. Mm -hmm. Are so you an, are you an astrology biggest, diva? Only in the sense that I'm a Virgo and I know the other two and then I stop there. I had um, um, someone forced me to do my chart a couple of weeks ago and I learned that I'm a Virgo, Virgo, Libra rising. And I have no idea. I knew I was a Virgo, but otherwise I have no idea what any of it means. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure Virgo, um, if you're Virgo rising, that's like how you present to the world too. Yeah. So I'm like, not, I'm I mean... a Lib Libra, Libra. Oh, and sorry, my... Libra rising. Yeah. So my friend, you're... this woman who I'd only met for a day, like swore that I was going to be a Leo rising. And I was like, no, Vir Libra, apparently. <laughs> for anyone who cares, I'm Virgo sun, Leo moon, Aquarius rising. So you guys can do with that what you will. Yeah. But um, yeah, there's some of the audience will know what that means. Okay, so you said contractors are probably your biggest expense, which is yeah. what I would have expected depending on some different factors. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think the best thing by far that I have outsourced starting in 2023 has been YouTube video editing. So (laughs) YouTube video editing is just one of those things where I have like over the years learned a lot about photography and videography, but at the end of the day, like it's just not my art form. Like I am a good on camera person. I'm great at writing, but like when it comes to video editing, there's just always going to be someone who cares much more than I do and does a much better job than I do, even if I feel like I've learned a lot about it. And the amount of time I get back is so incredibly worth it. So shout out to my video editor, Sean, who has been saving my life for the last six months. (laughs) My editor like spends on average, like eight to 10 hours per like one hour video. And I, I just never even learned how to do it. I just outsourced it from the beginning. I'm like, I like, where would I find the time? I don't even know. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that like, once you have done it yourself once or twice, even like just struggled through it and then been like, okay, I see that maybe ultimately if you can't afford to right now or something like for anyone who's listening, like maybe ultimately, you know, you want to outsource that, but figuring out like little hacks along the way to like make things better. Like I was buying these cute subscribe animations and transitions from Etsy that made it look like I knew more motion graphics than I actually did. (laughs) And that was a great way to enhance my video on a budget. But as soon as I was like, I need to pass this off to someone, that was a great like moment and realization. So videography, sometimes photography here in New York City too. Like I have a friend, Karia, who shoots street style. So sometimes if we want to just get fresh content, you know, outfit pictures and stuff. I can hire her to do stuff like that. Um, And then I did hire a like kind of on contract virtual assistant during my course launch. And I told her, Hey, I really need help for like these three months. This is what I need help with. Um, And it's kind of going to be like a set time block until I figure out like what I'm doing with the course after. So it's also great to, I would say, like start to outsource in little ways like that. Like you don't have to hire a full-time employee. You can hire someone on for a project or you can start to work with them for, say, I would love to do like a two-week, you know, paid trial just to see how we both like working together. And then you can go from there because to me, outsourcing always seemed so scary. I'm like, oh my God, I have to like bring on someone. Like, what are they going to do all day? Like, how are they going to, you know, hear what's in my brain and like put it onto a paper? But I've had such great experiences with contractors so far so people always think it's so wild when I tell them that I have I now have six employees that all work less than 10 hours a week it's like well they all have very specific tasks that they do so it's like they don't and they all have multiple multiple clients so it's not like they need 20 to 40 hours worth of work from me that's so true yeah and like the fact that you have those six people who are the expert in like that area like that is so great to have you know yeah um So yeah, definitely contractors. I think my next biggest might actually be softwares. Like just what I don't supplement through contractors, I supplement through softwares in the sense of like Canva. It's not like I have a graphic designer, but like Canva helps me look like I know more what I'm doing. Um, You know, TubeBuddy for YouTube, helping me find keywords and do keyword research faster. Um, You know, just iCloud backups, um, Google Drive, uh, MailChimp for my email newsletter, all of and Squarespace for website hosting, like all of those kind of like software expenses, yeah. I would say is definitely yeah, the I next. lumped those in and uh, into a category I call monthly tools. Now I would guess if that's your second highest category, I would make an educated guess that either your overall expenses in your business are pretty low and you have a pretty high profit margin or 
because you have so many different revenue streams, you utilize a lot more types of software than most other business owners. Well, I should say the business owners I'm typically used to working with. I think that's a fair assumption. And I also like, I mean, I did this alone for eight years, like as just a side thing before I ever hired someone else. And the only other companies I did work at, like Nylon Interview and then a tech startup I was at for a year and a half, that was all like 20 employees or less like working on one thing. So like, I just learned to be scrappy in that sense. And like, um, I think that it, for that reason, like, yes, I prefer to like keep the profit more in some cases than go through the contractor process. Although I'm trying to get better about just letting go of control and actually yeah, hire, hiring, hire it out. hiring where I need to, especially, you know, um, but at the same time too, I do think that like, there are some softwares that maybe, you know, your average fashion Instagram creator wouldn't use. Like I use Loom which records my talking head bubble mm-hmm. at the bottom of the screen and my whole screen for recording my digital courses, my Patreon content. Um, I think I pay like 96 for that annually. So like maybe that's something that an Instagram content creator would never think about having as a right. business expense. Not all creators have email newsletters, even though I believe they should. Like, I think that because of the duality of my business where, yeah, I'm a fashion and beauty content creator, but then I also teach other content creators. And the fact that I have like these two pieces of my business definitely adds to the list of, of yeah. uh, those softwares. Yeah. The reason why sometimes I can guess be like, oh, okay, well, if your software expenses are higher compared to other things, then you're probably fairly profitable is because um, like the example I always give is when my business was making, I so my software expenses used to be like $250 a month when I was making $1,000 a month. Mm-hmm. And now I'm making $20,000 a month, but my software expenses are like $450 per month. So percentage wise, it's like shrunk a lot, but my contract contractors, like now I spend like $5,000 a month on, on, on team is what I call it. So it's just very, the percentages are very different. And then I have, um, we have other stuff that other people wouldn't have. Like when you hire us to form your LLC, like we pay the state filing fees and trademark filing fees and all that kind of stuff, which obviously can be a lot and then flights and travel and hotels for networking events is always I was gonna say travel is next and I feel like that's part of that is I live like across from New York City so like I'm so accessible like it's not like I am paying you know to come to New York all the time like I'm here all the time already so what I lack in travel expenses I pay in rent um and also (laughs) I am a forever public transit girly. Like I do not like taking Ubers. I just feel like it always takes forever. It's always so expensive. So like I will take the subway pretty much anywhere, which I feel like is also not the case for like, um, unless I'm given like an Uber code for an event or something, which luckily is becoming more and more the case. So for that reason, travel expenses end up being like not too bad at all. And then after that, kind of, I just put like miscellaneous, like, oh, I needed more printer paper. Like, oh, I did a Starbucks gift card giveaway for like answering my survey question. Like, you know, things, things on that side. Um, And you're not, I'm assuming you're not paying, you're not paying for ads and you're not paying influencers. I'm not paying for ads. I'm not paying for influencers. And I'm also working from home. So I'm not paying for office space, but yeah, because a lot of, a lot of digital product people. So your, your whole business is like really enveloped in and based around organic marketing. So it makes sense that like, that's your thing. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I have other friends who, you know, I have friends who teach Facebook ads 
and they are like never posting on Instagram a day in their life, but like 30 to 40% of their expense overhead is on ads. They're like, oh, I can just like buy my leads. It's great. So it's very, it's different based on obviously who you are as a person and what you want to spend your money on, but also like the industry that you're in makes a huge difference. Yeah, I totally agree. And again, like, it's interesting just to see how all these things have changed and evolved over time. Like, I could not have even imagined hiring, like, I I guess it's full time in the sense that I use him every week, but like a video editor like Sean, who like will edit one long form video for me Uh every week, like back in the day, I feel like I would have been like, oh my God, like, I'll just do it myself. And like, (laughs) it's crazy when you start to just realize how valuable your time is though. But it's like, you maybe could have done it by yourself when you had two income streams, but it's like, now you're the income producer on these eight different income streams. So that's the other thing. That's exactly right. Sometimes it's like, well, you could do it yourself, but then you don't have time to the well the patreon content sounds like you got under control regardless but some of the other things um you'd have to cut off well this was super fun really informative we're gonna start to wind it down thank you so much for coming on i have one more one more final hard-hitting question for you are you ready so we have our free facebook sure. group Braden's besties um oh i think we did we lost internet there for a second are you are we back I'm back. I I heard I heard it slow for a second, but then I heard that you have a hard hitting question for me. So I immediately snapped into focus. Oh, okay, great, 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 great. Perfect pause time then. Okay, so our hard hitting question, we have a free Facebook group, Braden's Besties. Everyone should go join if they want to be one of our besties. Where should people go if they want to be one of your besties and follow along with what you got going on? Aw, thank you. You guys can find me everywhere at Austin Tassone. Austin is spelled with an E like Jane Austen, because as I mentioned, my mom was a magazine editor, which means before that she was an English major. Um, And yeah, so I'm on Instagram, Pinterest, TikTok, YouTube. And then my blog is Keep Calm and Chiffon. Beautiful. And of course, we'll put all those links on our show notes for people to easily find. Austin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm going to go pop in the Facebook group because I am always looking for Facebook groups to join and I can already tell yours is fun. So yeah, I'm in. <laughs> it'll be fun. All right, great. We'll see you. We'll see you in there. Everyone will say hi. Perfect. Hey there. Before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.